<laughs> good morning to those people that have joined us on the internet as well. Um, it's wonderful that we're so full this morning because this is a great message that we're going we're gonna to be looking at. Let's open God's word for us recorded in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verses, verse 16 and 17. I'll be reading from the ESV version. The title of the sermon is, For God So Loved the World. No, sorry, For God So Loved. I cut it short, sorry. Um, it reads, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Before I preach, let's bow our heads and seek the hand of God to be on us and empower us to open our hearts to his word. Dear Lord, you are the creator of heavens and earth. You are the one that guides us. Lord, help us to see you as you are. Help us wrestle with those things that need clarity so that we can glorify you in everything we think, do, and say. Amen. This passage is found in the book of John. But what did John say he wrote the book about? His answer is that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing we may have life in him. This is the same Jesus that is sent into the world by the Father. A love story for those who believe. So this week, I've been given the most well-known verse in all of Scripture to preach on. A verse that is known and held fondly by Christians and non-Christians alike. A verse that encompasses all the words of the gospel because it is the focal point and goal of the triune God's glory. For those who have not heard of triune or trinity before, it is defined as the one and only God. Exists as three persons of one substance, power and eternity. Namely, God the Father, God the Son, which is Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. In the passage today, each person of the Trinity displays love towards us, despite our disposition of sin. Before I start, I would like to let you know that I will not be talking about love of God for the world. Yes, I know. It's the first statement. Why? Because it will entail a doctrine of common grace of God, which is a sermon in itself, and which I will reserve for a later date. The second reason is because it would be unfair for me to give you multiple challenging doctrines within one sermon. For today, however, please bear with me 
is I'm speaking about a challenging doctrine of the love of God, which is challenged because it needs to have our sinfulness exposed so that we can fully appreciate the love that is shown to us. Note, however, that I have rooted everything in the Word of God. So please, stick with me as we transverse these steps across the pond without getting ourselves into trouble due to the potential distraction, dis distractive nature of these statements. The passage appears at first glance that it is all about the Father's love, a love that gave and sent his son to earth to die. His one and only son. His infinitely precious son sent to fulfill the Father's will. This all being the plan before the beginning of time, a plan to ransom, to change the disposition of the enemies, changing hatred into love, judgment into grace. The father that sends his son to a wicked and perverse generation, a generation that will ultimately put him to death by crucifixion. A death that will free these very same wicked people in that earth from bondage. A father that knows full well what will happen. The father that chooses to love us while we are shaking fists at him. So why would he choose to love us? Have you ever wondered why God chose his name as I am? With no descriptive words, the answer lies in understanding it. I will tell you. He says his ways are higher than our ways. If God's name reflects the work he does, how could I ever come up with a unique name to show his uniqueness to people that are so contaminated with sin? People that are nothing like him. How could he ever how could you ever comprehend? Such a difference. Say we put a white particle of paint for every good thing you did into a pool of black paint. Say you manage in a lifetime to accumulate one cup of white paint. You tossed it in and you mixed it. Do you think you'd be able to tell the difference between you and the worst person on earth? Often we think we are so much better than others by comprehending, compre comparing our works, thinking that it was <clears throat> it's what saves us, or it at least comforts us to think we are much better. Ignoring God's loving grace, a free gift of believers. You see, my good deeds are worse than filthy, sewer-drenched rags. God affirms this. So what do you classify your good deeds as? So, now your pride might be offended, even though I'm saying, using the word I. 
But I need to put a mirror in front of you so you can marvel about the love we will shortly be talking about. You see, there's a distinction to make. How I love and how God loves. God loves perfectly, but that's not me. We use God's attributes and associate it with our behaviors. But always, my love is like hatred compared to God's love. You see, often I do not speak when I ought to. Often I'm reserved and selfish and do not help when I ought to. I'm nasty, condescending, and full of pride, and hesitantly love at times. If I show love at all, usually only under compulsion or guilt, that I finally give in. And this being a blessing when I do. The thing is, in my mind, I still say I do good. I do not want truth to reign in my thoughts, because if I did, I would fall on my knees and cry out to God continually for His help, knowing I am weak, in need of a Savior. My tongue should be cut off by trying to equate my love to God's love. Are you seeing the problem we have? When we compare ourselves to God, so even on our very best days, we cannot compare our love to God's love. So what is said about God's love? It, it was God, it was Yet it was the Lord's will to crush Jesus and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord make him his life an offering for sin, he will see his offering, his offspring, and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hands. We often at this point convict God of child abuse, don't we? Without thinking it through. Those that are parents, have you let your children hurt themselves for their good? By this I mean, have you told them not to do somersaults or to jump two together on the trampoline? Because you know that sooner or later they will get lost in the moment and break the rules you set. Knowing that someone will be double bounced and end up landing on the springs or straddling the frame of the trampoline. Yes, ouch, tears and screams. You can all remember this happening when we were kids. However, as parents, as soon as you turn your back, we wait in anticipation for the screams and tears to ring out from the trampoline. We find ourselves praying that they don't hurt themselves too badly, preferably just a, <clears throat> just a little hurt, just painful enough that they will learn a lesson. A sprained wrist, a twisted ankle, maybe a broken bone, but no more, Lord, please. However, what are the first words that come out when you hear 
the tears running down their faces after the incident, amidst the dread, anxiety of the worst possible scenario that ran through your head at lightning speed. Didn't I tell you not to? This being the hardest thing for a parent to do ever. But we all have to choose times to let go of our sovereign helicopter parenting style so that they can stand. We try to choose the moments that will allow them to hurt themselves for their good. We try to love them, right? However, God the Father shows us not only how much he loves us by showing us mercy and grace when he removes his hand from our lives, allowing us to hurt ourselves. God gives us the memory of our sin as a blessing so you can feel the hurt and pain so you can be reminded not to do it again. God who tests, tested his son like he tested you. But Jesus did listen. He did obey his father. A far cry from us. He also sent his son into a sinful and wicked world. Think about sending your perfect son into a snake pit. Knowing there is only sin everywhere. Imagine every possible sin pulling at them. Every example is tainted with sin. There was no one, <clears throat> there was not one example of holy upbringing, as all fell short. So much so that even the pious of the day, the Pharisees, the whitewashed tombs, demanded his death. This is the world that the Holy Father sent his Son. Who knew no sin into? This is the world that the Son was willing to save from his judgment. This is the world that the Holy Spirit was willing to help conform into the image of his Son. Why? So he could be tested like us. And in this way, show us how to live a life pleasing to God who made us. Jesus, who lived with the same problems as you, the same temptations, he loved you and showed you how to live life well. From this passage, did you take note of why God the Father would send his Son? It was not to judge us, as every, everyone was already guilty. We, the earthly people that deserve the death sentence because our sins are an outright act of war against the holy God. But he sent Jesus to save us. Did you hear that? He came to save us. Yes, you heard that correctly. We were guilty and he wanted to remove the sin that is killing us. The God that knew each and every sin where we were declaring war against him. Each sin that deserves an infinite number of days for us to be punished. God who has perfect recollection for all of time but must surely require punishment suitable 
for this kind of transgression. God, that will remember our sins in 50 billion years' time as if they had just happened. This is the God that wants to save us. He knows what awaits each one of us and wants to save us from ourselves and from his judgment. But are you willing to say you're sorry and accept the truth and grace that he gives by sending his son to die for you? A love that is beyond measure, not only for me, but for you too. Now that we have, been, that we have ground, <coughs> grounding what the Father has done, what about the Son? Jesus, what love does he display? Jesus who was sent. Jesus that was ordained to live a life that is pleasing to the Father, a life destined for him to be placed by sinful man on a cross. Jesus does not do any action under compulsion by man or by God, but he does this freely. He shares in the will of the Father to pay the price to have us set free from our sinful disposition, to have our eyes opened, to share in the glory and to be with him in this glory. Jesus does not die for a brother or a sister, but he dies for an enemy that hates him. He died so that the enemy will become a brother or sister. He died so that you will be like him. So let your love imitate this kind of love, a love, a kind of love that baffles human understanding. Let's explore this dying for someone that truly hates everything about you. Those that love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. I say this because when we perceive the extent of our darkness, we will truly see the extent of the love of God towards those who hate him. A marvelous and out-of-this-world display of love. Some of you might think that this statement, truly hate God, is not totally true. You're probably thinking that you, you did not hate everything about God or his ways and that this is over the top. However, there is something that you might have missed. Actually, we most probably all not wanted to see it previously. A blind spot that underpins our assumption. You assume that a will that is neutral, a Greek philosophical perspective that has always been prevalent in the world's thinking, a neutrality that you can wield all by yourself. And this undermines the word of God. But it is God who directs the heart like a stream, God that directs your, your steps, the God who orchestrates the world for your good. Not for your wants, but for your spiritual good. When we are allowed to choose without God, 
every choice will be inclined towards darkness and not light. If God does not guide us or keep his hand on our lives, we do revert to the will that comes naturally to us. We freely choose to sin. Isaiah 63:17. Free will is a perspective of man that does not acknowledge the work of God in one's life. And what happens when you openly deny the work of the helper of God, the Holy Spirit, in your life? Who will help you then? Be careful and don't commit the unforgivable sin. The Holy Spirit that is invisible and who actively participates in our lives. What do you say about his work? What actions is he allowed to perform? His will or your will? If all, God, all glory is God's, then none is ours. We are merely tools he uses, he chooses to use. Tools that he has cleansed. Tools that he has chosen to save and make sons and daughters who share in the glory because he uses them for holy purposes and work. Was not Jesus a tool? Did he not come down and serve? Did he not reflect the Father's will? Was he not filled with the Spirit? So why do, why do we get disgruntled when it is, it is applied to us? We are either slaves to Satan or slaves to Christ. Whose slave are you? You see, I love Christ because I affirm his commands. I affirm his ways are higher than my ways because they are good for me and I love them. I am a tool, a bond slave, a brother because I love him and his ways. My ways are his ways. Through his power. I am tied up with him. I choose Christ willingly by God's power to make this my choice. Do you? In understanding my depravity and my inability to do God's work to his standard, he has enabled me to open my eyes and I fully understand the love the mercy and grace that God provides for me here and now and the dire need to be in him and he in me. Remember, none come to God unless the Spirit draws them. Jesus, looking at the hearts of men, saw the evil in them. We were and still are these people fighting a war against the, this flesh, Putting on the belt of truth, we know this to be true. We are saved, but in the process of being saved. The true hypocrisy of the religious elite was that they were blind people that did not want to accept they were blind. Not wanting a physician to open their, eye, their blind eyes, claiming that they could see. Pushing away the love of God who was standing in front of them. Jesus, 
who was waiting for them merely to ask, and he would have healed them. Hypocrites that would not humble themselves and ask for help. Have you asked for help? So we get to the big question. Where does it tell us in scriptures we cannot love without the help of God? Let's look at the Old Testament in the book of Isaiah, chapter 55, verse 8. It reads, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my way, your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Think about this. What is it saying? For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways declares the Lord. So if our ways and thoughts are not like God's, then what are our ways and thoughts? This leaves only one answer. It means our ways and thoughts are not like God's. Our ways and thoughts are sinful, continually, like in the days of Noah, which states, every inclination of the thoughts of man's hearts was only evil. All the time. Let's continue. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower, and bread to the eater. So shall my words be that so shall my words be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the very thing for which I sent it. Do you see the good things you have received that come from God's character do do you see them as a blessing from God? Water that comes down from heaven. Water that gives you the thinking and acting of God. Water of the fruits of the Spirit. Watering we receive by the grace and the mercy of God. Water that fills the desire of our hearts. In this way, we are enabled to love. So you can be like him, the reign of love from a sovereign God that has you in the church today to hear his words of peace and love. God's word also says, For you will go out in joy and come back with peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees in the field will clap their hands Instead of thorn bushes, pine trees will grow. Instead of briars, myrtle will grow. And they will be a sign for the Lord, an everlasting name that will not be cut off. God is the one that shows his love to you by giving you and making you a sign that resembles him by the grace he gives you. Instead of being a curse, you will be a blessing. 
you will display all the glorious wonders of God's nature that has been made manifest from us for us to see because of our sin. Love can only be seen when it costs something. Long-suffering needs suffering to be revealed. Grace cannot be given if there was no transgression to pay for, and so on. Think about it. You that, believe, <clears throat> you that believe are a sign of his love. What a mind-blowing revelation and comfort because of this love of God, that not only is he love, but he gives it to you so that you can give it to others. We, the holy tools for holy purposes, share in the love of God. So we now can accept that we are unable to love by ourselves. Love is the rain that comes from heaven. It is God's way, and we are delighted because we receive it. So far, we have looked at the, at the Father's love and the Son's love. But there is a third love, the third member of the Trinity, who is often forgotten about the one that we cannot discard, the helper that Jesus sent, the Holy Spirit. In the passage, he is the one that helps you believe. Look at his name, Holy Spirit. You know holy is defined as pure, morally blameless, or set apart. God's ways are not our ways as in set apart for holy purposes, the call God has for his saints. Remember how, the <clears throat> remember how the holy priest had to do much preparation just to enter the holy of holies, the place in the temple that God resided, God's inner sanctum in the temple. The priest who could not enter they could only enter once a year on the Day of Atonement. Remember that they had to tie a cord around, he, around the high priest's foot. Why, you might ask? Just in case he touched anything unclean. The God and God's wrath would strike out against him and kill him. Now that we have a little insight into what holy is, we need to take note of where Jesus sends this Holy Helper, the Holy Spirit, to work and reside. Yes, within each one of those that believe. Is he not the one that turns the heart of stone into the heart of flesh? Is he not the one that makes, his, makes your heart the holy temple of God? The one that carves the commands of God into your heart. The one that will draw you and teach you how to be a holy priest. Teaching you to love God and man. Empowering you to believe the one that searches your heart. The one that changes you. He is the one that actively works the dung pile of your heart and mind to transform you into a holy tool. A holy temple for his use. This is the love that the Holy Spirit 
has for you and the action he performs as an expression of his love. Now let's look at what love looks like. Love is not a feeling. It is, not about, it, it is about doings. God did not feel love towards us, saying something like, those humans, I love them. But they'll all be thrown into, <clears throat> they'll be thrown into hell, a fitting punishment for their sin. No, not at all. His love is an expression of who he is. If he is love, he has an, an action attached to it. God does something. He, the spotless, holy God, the King of heaven, demonstrates his love by sending his Son. By being a servant and washing the feet of his followers. Something a servant in those days was not required to do. The high king of heaven washing the feet of his former enemies of his. Love that will, will serve those around you. The spirit that washes the inside of the cup. Willing to work in the sewer of your hearts and minds. He loves you and wants to, to save you. From what, you might ask? Your own sin and from the impending wrath of Jesus' just judgment. However, are you willing to humble yourself and declare allegiance to him as king? Not 80%, not 95%, but 100% of you. To believe and to walk on water requires 100% trust in Jesus, especially when you can't swim. So what can we take away from this that will help? Often we feel that we have nothing to contribute and that God seems a million miles away. This is not true because he sees and loves you. Did he not see you and choose to send his son to save you? Did he not die on the cross and send you this message? Did he not make us feel like empty shells? Did he not come and make his home in us and fill that, that same emptiness? We are, we are left with this question. Do you believe? A belief that has you in church today to hear his words that call to you. In hearing his words, you are called to obey. So make a stand, take the risk. Be loved. Ask and you will receive. Don't stop there. Accept the truth and grace from Jesus. Accept it. Give it to others in your own unique way. Make your stand for God and practice his love, always. Showing others that you have his spirit in you because you believe. Having hope and confidence that the creator of the universe, the triune God, loves you. His tool, his servant, and his child.
So go home now, knowing you are loved.